Good morning. We're going to start today by taking a kind of informal survey. Informal survey. And this is what I want uh, you to think about. First off, we're going to ask for some responses here. And when we ask for them, we're actually really asking for them. Okay? So um, one of our services today, people were like looking at me when I asked, and they were kind of like, we're not supposed to talk. And it's like, no, this, this is going to get really awkward if you don't. Like, so it was like long moments of silence and everything. So just feel free. The fourth wall is coming down. This is, this is interactive for a minute, just for a minute, and then you have to be quiet again. So, um, so the question is this. I want you to think, as we have started a new year, about this upcoming year for you. Because if you are anything like me, and if your family is anything like mine, you've probably got certain traditions that you have in your life that you are really excited about, right? Things that you're just really looking forward to. A lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation, maybe Christmas, maybe an anniversary, maybe a certain summer vacation that you have something you do, or a spring break and a tradition or pattern you have, something that you just look at and go, we can't wait for that. That is going to be awesome. We're kind of counting down the days and the hours and the moments until this happens. I'd like you to think about what that might be for you, and then when you think about it, I'd like for a few of you to just raise your hand and we'll see what some of those things are. What, what are you just looking forward to? Cannot wait. Yes. Christmas. Christmas. Definitely. Christmas is an awesome one. No, that's, that's great. So that, that's, I mean, we have a count rundown in our house on, um, on Christmas. Let me, let, me, let me get a couple other perspectives. Christmas is awesome. Great. Yes. Your birthday. Another incredible one. Christmas and birthday. Yes. Cuba trip. Mission trip that we take over the summer with uh, doing VBS with our sister church in Cuba. Yep. Vacation, absolutely. Vacation, yes. Soccer game, awesome. I can go soccer game, yes. Your what? Quinceanera, yes. Thank you very much, awesome. How about Lent? Anybody? Lent, can't wait for Lent, right? You know, it's like we, we have two countdowns, right? One for New Year's, staying up till midnight, till New Year's Eve, until the New Year comes in, and the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday. We just stay up. Three, two, one, Lent is here again. Just so much anticipation, so much excitement, right? Nobody. Okay. Now, when we think about that, no, I'm not, I'm actually not that way either. So, I appreciate the trust, but nope, nope, I don't think about Lent that way. But here, here's the thing, here's the thing. That doesn't mean we don't think it's important. It doesn't mean we don't think that it has uh, important relevance in our life, but it's about reflecting and repenting. It's about turning, it's, you know, re- repenting feels somber, right? And sometimes it is, sometimes it is really somber. Um, so you don't sit there and go, yes, I can't wait to just wade into all my junk and just kind of sit in it for a while and repent of it, that didn't just fill us with this anticipation in the same kind of way that other things can. But I want to suggest to you today that this week ought to be like that. That our repentance this week will be something that can be as joyful and as exciting as anything that we can do. To lead us in this direction, we've got, uh, continuing with our scripture uh, from Luke 22 in this Journey to the Cross series, we're looking at verses 39 through 46, and I invite you to listen now to God's word to us today. 
he, this is Jesus, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and he prayed. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that no matter who we are, no matter what, how we walk in here with what hopes, with what dreams, with what doubts, with what tragedies, that we will all encounter you today and that you will lead us in new directions that we might come most alive. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so something that is important that I just want you to have in your mind today in this journey to the cross is about how you and I make choices, how we make decisions. Because every day, you and I make countless decisions. And some of them, we know are decisions, right? When, what are we going to eat for dinner? Who's cooking today? Who's cleaning up? Uh, when are we going to exercise? These are things that we kind of look at our day and our week, and we try to make decisions about how things are going to go. But you and I, every single one of us, also make lots of decisions every day that you and I don't see as decisions anymore. They're just habit. They're just things that we do that we have quit looking at and going, how do I want to do this? And yet, when you think about it, they still are decisions we're making. Here's an example. I am married to a beautiful young woman from Wales. We've been married for 17 years. She has enjoyed living in the United States, I think, for the most part. But one of the things that she is not converted on is drinking anything other than hot British tea throughout the day. Not coffee and not American tea. Won't drink any of the American brands. It's not strong enough. So we have in our house stashes of hundreds of tea bags of British tea, of the brand that she likes, and this is a really big deal. Now, in our house, when I wake up or when she wakes up in the morning, the first thing we do is make tea. That's the first thing we do, and we have at least two cups of tea as the day is getting rolling. And you don't really talk to her before at least one of those has gone down. I don't wake up anymore after 17 years of marriage and look at Beth and say, hey, do you want tea? We just drink tea. The first thing you do, do is you go turn the kettle on. We don't see it as a decision anymore. But every day we're making the decision to start by drinking tea. Does that make sense? You do that too, all the time in different kind of ways. And it's a powerful thing when you start realizing the choices that are in front of you every day that you don't really see as choices anymore. And in our culture, in the world you and I live in today, without a doubt, one of the things that we no longer see as a choice, that we accept as something that just is, is the crazy, busy lives that you and I lead. The hectic pace, the being plugged in all the time, that we are constantly on the move and constantly looking for stimulation and constantly looking to be plugged in and constantly looking to be active at all times. Our English language has even adapted to reflect this change. There are two phrases that I want you to know today. The first phrase is this, that is now an accepted part of, the, of English colloquialism is, busy is the new fine. 
Busy is the new fine. It used to be like 15 years ago, if you were talking to someone, you hadn't seen them in a while, you're seeing them at a party or something, and you say, how are you doing? And they would say, fine, right? And fine meant nothing. It meant nothing. It was just like a, I am acknowledging you asked me a question, I'm responding to it, I'm not giving you any information, and then we move along with the conversation. This phrase, busy is the new fine. When you ask people how they're doing, it's like, we're busy, right? That's become normative now. That's how people respond all the time. We're busy. Life's busy. Things are hectic. So there's a second phrase that's been adapted, which is that we're not just busy. We're crazy busy. Crazy busy is another colloquial that has now been accepted because busy is normal. That's for average people. We are type A success people, so we are not just busy. We are crazy busy, with the amount of things that are going on, with the stress and the pace and the being plugged in and all the emails and text messages, I'm constantly responding, constantly gotten all these stimuli, constantly multitasking, constantly not feeling like I'm doing a good job of any of it, but I just kind of charge and charge and charge and charge and charge. We don't even see it as a choice we make anymore. It's just normal. But it's powerful when you start seeing that we make a decision to be running at this pace every day and ask ourselves, is that faithful? Is it right? Now, when you stop and think about it, and in one sense, it's not bad to be busy. It's not bad to work hard, right? I think working hard is an important value and an important thing. It's how we're faithful to the things God's called us to. But there is a line when we cross over from faithfully working hard at the things in front of us to just living constantly stimulated, crazy busy lives. And normally, we don't recognize it until that line is in the rearview mirror, and we have passed it, and we are just living on the other side. And what is the thing that tells us when we have crossed that line from faithful, hard work to crazy, busy, out of control? What suffers almost always first are our relationships. Our relationships that we become too busy and too tired and too exhausted for. And friends, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, that is a really, really, really big deal. It's not just that we uniquely struggle with this in our world today, in our technologically tuned-in world. You see that in the Scripture passage we read. You see that, that, that the disciples, I would say, on the day that Jesus is arrested, where when they're praying here in the garden, that, that they have had a crazy busy day, right? They're in Jerusalem. They're there for the Passover feast. They woke up. They have a, a day where Jesus is, is teaching the crowds, and he's healing people. They have a day when, when they have crowds that are growing. Every day, the crowds were getting bigger that were hanging around Jesus, and were talking about him as the king and the ruler and the Messiah, and these disciples are trying to manage that. They're trying to figure out crowd management and systems and how you get people to Jesus and how we try to coordinate this, and then at the end of the day, after all these people are around all the time, and you're emotionally drained, and, 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 you're, and you're exhausted, Then Jesus looks and says, hey, can you go prepare the Passover meal? Now, those are like six little words in the Bible. But if you have ever hosted an event at your house, that is not easy. They had to go find a room. They had to go make sure the food was there. They had to make sure there was enough food. They had to count heads. Are all 12 going to be here? And and who else is going to come? And who's on the invite list? Do we have enough to drink? Is the room available for all the time we need it? Who's going to come in and serve? And what are the right times? They have to work out all those logistics. And then in the midst of this meal, this Passover meal, Jesus starts talking about his body being broken and a cup with new covenant and new life. And it's like, we're not certain what that's about. And so then they kind of, as the night goes on, they start having a debate about which of them is the greatest. We talked about this last week. They start talking about 
who's most accomplished, who's most wonderful, who God likes the most, who Jesus likes the most and, and sees as a success. And at the end of that long day, that crazy busy day, I bet they were ready to just go collapse in bed. I bet they were ready to just unplug because they knew the next day was going to be even busier. They probably felt pretty important because of how much they had going on. And Jesus says, let's go sit in a garden and pray. (laughs) Just what they wanted to do, right? Just what you want to do at the end of the day. Let's just go sit in a garden and let's just all pray, right? And they fall asleep. They fall asleep from the emotional the, the, uh, expense that they've been putting out. They fall asleep from the crazy business. When we get crazy busy, the first thing to be sacrificed are our relationships. And it's easy for you and I to look back at it and, because we know how the story ends and go, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe those disciples just messing it up again. I can't believe they just all fell asleep when it was the, just moments before Jesus is arrested. He's going to be crucified in just a little while. And they just fall asleep and abandon him. But are we any different? I mean, be honest for a second. When your life gets really out of control and busy, I'm probably not the only one whose prayer life is the first thing to get sacrificed. I'm probably not the only one who can easily find some margin by cutting out a prayer walk because there's too much going on. The first thing that's sacrificed are our relationships. And it's not just that Jesus is the Messiah who they let down, this is their friend, this is their brother. This is their teacher, who even if they don't understand why, is in pain and agony and anguish and is asking them just to walk with them. And they're too exhausted to put the energy into doing it. Friends, that just starts sounding really familiar. When you just are exhausted at the end of the day and it's easier to tune out to what's on a screen rather than have a conversation with the person sitting across from you. When we move beyond that line of busyness to unhealthy levels of crazy busy, relationships are the first thing that we sacrifice. And that is a really big deal. Why? Because we were made for relationships. Because God created us for that. God created us to be in relationship with him and each other at a primary level. And you see that throughout the scriptures. We see that, for example, when a young lawyer earlier in the Gospel of Luke comes and asks Jesus a question and says, Lord, what's the most important commandment? Now, commandments, there were over 600 commandments in the Old Testament telling people what to do or what not to do. If you were a type A, activity-driven, crazy, busy person, the commandments were for you because they're all about here's what I do and here's what I don't do and I kind of spend my time on the right things and avoid the wrong things and I'm all about it and I can take action steps and have a strategic plan and work it all out. And Jesus responds saying, what's the most important thing? To love, to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying if you're not in a right relationship with God, and if you are not in a good, healthy, right relationship with other people, it doesn't matter how busy you are. It doesn't matter how accomplished you are. It doesn't matter what your grades are. It doesn't matter what your title is at work. You're missing the point. You're missing the entire reason that God created you and that you're here. We see that science reflects that that is true over and over again. For example, John Ortberg is an author and a pastor that we've talked about before. John Ortberg is also a psychologist. And John Ortberg's written recently on a study of the regrets people have at the end of their life. 
The common regrets when people know they're dying and they're on their deathbed. What are the regrets that people have? And one of the most common regrets people have on their deathbed is that they did not pay enough attention to the relationships in their family and their close friends. Why? Because they were just so busy. And they learn it at a time when in this world there's nothing you can do about it anymore. Or take a study that just came out by Harvard recently. It's called, it's an amazing study called the Harvard Grant Study. Harvard Grant Study started in 1938. Started in 1938, and it was a 75-year study that Harvard conducted where they were asking the question, what makes people happy and fulfilled? That was the entire course of the study. What makes people happy? Are there common things that we can point to that make people happy and fulfilled? And between 1938 and 1940, they found 268 individuals who would participate in this study, and they traced their lives for 75 years. You had all kinds of people involved in this study over the decades. You had introverts, and you had extroverts. You had liberals, and you have conservatives. You have Republicans, and you have Democrats. You have people who were very powerful, had succeeded in life, were were well-known, had earned a lot of money, and you had people who hadn't had nearly the same kind of public career and acclaim. And what they found was that there were certain things that contributed to your happiness. And yes, if you didn't have much money at all in life, that created a lot of strain on relationships. That made it hard. But overall, what they found is that the things you and I work and work and work and work for do not contribute to happiness and fulfillment. That job title really doesn't have that much to do with it. With how many uh, uh, dollars you earn in your paycheck really doesn't have very much to do with it. That there is one factor, 75 years of study came down, there's one thing that across the board is the single greatest determinant of if someone has a happier and more fulfilled life, and it's this. How well do you love other people, and how well do you allow them to know and love you? That's it. 75 years of study, right there. How well do you love other people? And how well do you allow them to know you and love you? But we're charging ahead. We're plugged in. We're accomplishing. We're fulfilling all our dreams. We're going at a pace because Maybe it didn't work for them, but it's going to work for us. And it's not us. It's going to be our overscheduled kids. It'll sooner or later click in that this is the way to figuring it all out. Friends, our faith teaches us differently. Science reinforces that lesson. And we are called to repent. We are called to repent and counterculturally move in a new direction, in a different direction. We are called to not be too busy for the relationships in our life. We are called to not consistently be surprised or have our children surprised or our friends surprised when we actually pay attention to them rather than the phone that's in our hand. We are constantly choosing something that is less than a full, less than a happy, less than a fulfilled life. And it's not just normal. We choose it all the time. And it's time for us to repent. But repent's not going to be somber. It's not going to be difficult. It's not going to be dour. 
repenting of this will be one of the most exciting things we will ever do because we are going to have to pay attention to relationships. And Jesus says, that's why you're alive. It's going to be wonderful. So I'm going to repent this week. I'm not going to repent. I'm going to repent. And it's going to look like a lot of things in my life. But here's one of them. I am going to finally have a phone conversation that is eight months overdue with Paul Barrett. Paul is a friend of mine. He is a pastor in Southern California. He and I have been friends for years. And it's one of those friendships that when you meet and like a lot of people, this was one that the Lord just sort of gave you and you knew it, right? We just kind of got to know each other. We just connected. He has kids about the same age as mine. We're sort of same life stage. And uh, he's just a wonderful guy. When I was living in Atlanta, and this church in Austin, Texas, and I were put in touch, and I was pretty confident the Lord was not calling me to go there. I asked a few people to really talk and pray with me about that. Paul was one of those people. Paul was one of those very few people that you open up to and say, would you pray with me in this? Would you talk to me about what you see? Would you tell me about the demons that exist in my own heart that either want me to do this or not to do that? Would you speak into my life? You don't trust many people with that. And the cool part was when we had this conversation, Paul said, that's really funny. I've had a church in Southern California that's called and asked if I would consider the same thing. He was in Seattle at the time. It's rough when a church in Southern California calls you and says, you know, would you consider coming here? I mean, the view we have is beautiful. The church where he's at now, they're overlooking the Pacific Ocean right now. Not that I'm coveting. That's... (laughs) That we repent of in a couple of weeks, but today, that's where he's working. Paul's an amazing guy. We prayed for each other through this. We discerned at about the same time that God seemed to be calling us. We gave each other our blessings as we did it. We moved our families across the country to new schools and to new areas, believing that God had called us to do this. And we started our new jobs on the exact same day. April 4th, 2014, right at two years ago. When I was driving to Covenant for my first day of work, I was on the phone with Paul as he was going and preparing for his first day at his church. And we prayed together for our first day. But you know what happens? Boy, we've gotten busy. Boy, we've gotten busy. Because we are just doing stuff all the time. And there's always activities and there's always family stuff. And the kids are always wanting to do do stuff. And so we've moved from talking pretty regularly to talking every month or to talking every few months or to just kind of not doing anything other than sending a brief text message every now and again. For eight months now, Paul and I have not spoken on the phone at all. We have kept in communication by one cynic's text messages that go back and forth about every month. Paul has been better about calling than I have. And last week he called and left me a voicemail and said, Thomas, it's been a long time since we talked. Can you give me a ring? And you know what I did? I texted him. I texted him in response to the voicemail that he had left me because you know why? I am crazy busy. And Paul sent me back a text last week. It said, Thomas, I need you to know I care about you too much to text with you anymore. When you have time, pick up the phone and give me a call. I get to repent this week. I am looking forward to it because my repentance is going to be able to call one of my good friends and carve out time to have a phone conversation that is long overdue. And I'm not going to take it out of time when I'm with my kids and I'm not going to take it out of time when I'm with Beth. I'm going to take it out of time when I can just sit and carve out a moment and connect 
with my friend, and that is going to be repentance, because it's what I'm created for, to be in relationship, to be in relationship with God, and to be in relationship with other people. I know how busy you are. I know the stress. I know how hard it is to get ahead. I know the dreams you have. I know the things that are going on. But the first thing that is sacrificed in our crazy, busy life is relationship. And when that happens, no matter how old you are, no matter what your background is, no matter how you look at this life, no matter whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, you are choosing something that is less than joy. You are choosing a life that is less than fulfilled. You are choosing a life that is not going to be truly happy. You are choosing an existence that God is saying, look bigger, dream bigger, see and respond to how you're created. I made you to be in relationship with each other. Friends, let's repent this week. Let's repent of our crazy, busy lives. Let's reach out and connect with each other. And when we do, we will have joy. This week and always. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that we would be a people who repent, who turn in a new direction, who don't use the excuse of how busy we are to fail to connect with those around us, who give in to the temptation over and again to stay looking at our screens and our phones rather than the lives of those around us, that we would live counterculturally and pay deep attention to the relationships that are in front of us. They would hear your call to reach out and to love each other. May we do so this week with reckless abandon and joy. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand together and sing one last song.